Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? So glad you're here today. I know many of you woke up at the beach this morning. I'm not sure how you got there, but there you are. You're watching online. So glad you're with us today as well as we wrap up a series that we've been calling Church Is, and we've been filling in the stereotypes that quite often attach to the church. And we've been asking ourselves the question, why, why is it that when you do surveys and research, we discover that 99% of Americans believe in God in fact, 97% of Americans say they pray every day. I read one survey that said 10% of atheists pray every day. I don't know who they think they're praying to, but anyway, that's, that's what it said. And yet, probably less than 40%, 37% is what you read most of the time uh, of Americans actually attend a Christian church. And on a given Sunday, probably more like 20% or less, some say 18 or 19%. So wh- where's the disconnect? What, what is the deal? We believe in God, and yet we're struggling with our belief in the church. George Barna did some research a number of years ago, and he asked unchurched people that very question. He said, why why do you think most people don't go to church? And they came to the conclusion that people believe churches are full of hypocrites, and churches only care about their money, and churches only care about, you know, this is just an event. How many people attended their event is all that really matters to them, and ultimately, uh, churches are just unfriendly places. I just didn't feel a part of that when I did go. And so our hope is to have honest dialogue about that reality that that's the perception, true or not, earned or not, that's the perception. And while we may not be able to do anything to get them to come be a part of the church, we at least can be honest about it and tear down any barriers that we're creating because the last thing we want to do is hold people off from the fulfilling life that Jesus promised. Can I get an amen on that one? The last thing we want to do is hold people away. Let's make sure we don't do it. So let's read our key verse one more time. We've been looking at it throughout the series, the words of Jesus himself. John chapter 10, verse 10. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to its fullest. He didn't come to to create an institution for us to support or or a philosophy for us to agree or disagree with. He came to give us life and that life fulfilling. So today as we wrap up the series, we're going to talk about this issue called churches are unfriendly. I absolutely disagree with that. From my perspective, church people are the friendliest people on the planet. But here's the reality. Uh, Fuller Theological Seminary did a survey some time ago, and they said that the number one reason why people who visit a church don't go back to that church is those people weren't friendly to me. They, They didn't make me feel welcome. I felt like an outsider watching. I felt very lonely while I was there. Number one reason they didn't come back. Anybody agree with me that loneliness is an issue these days? Is it a big deal? It's a huge deal, and it's, there's an irony to it because we're living in a day when we are more connected than we've ever been in our history. I mean, we all got a cell phone hermetically sealed to our hip, and we've got, a, you know, social media. We're on Instagram. If you're over 40, you're on Facebook. If you're under 40, you're on Instagram and Snapchat. You can decide which group you're in. If you're, you know, we're just constantly in contact. We're video talking to each other. It's just amazing, and yet people still feel incredibly lonely and isolated. What I need you to understand is that while that's a real problem today, it actually has been a problem all the way throughout human history. And not only has it been a problem, but the causes are the same today as they were back then 
as well. In fact, the Apostle Paul, even this amazing man of God, came to a place in his life when he found himself feeling incredibly lonely. Paul had been doing his missionary journeys. He'd been planting churches all over the known world. His goal ultimately was to preach the gospel in Caesar's household. To do that, he was put in chains, taken to Rome where he was put under house arrest. And his highest goal in life was then to get the gospel into Caesar's household. The book of Acts says that he accomplished that goal before he died. But now Paul, and the things we're going to look at today, is under house arrest, He's separated from everybody he knows and cares about. The only people around are the, are the guards that are watching him, and he's waiting for the executioner to come. And he identifies in his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, he, he, out, he identifies four things that he was going through that caused him to feel lonely. I want to walk through them I want just very quickly because I really want to get into solution mode today. But as we do, I want you to ask yourself the question, have I ever, am I relating to this? Do I find myself dealing with this? Much less all four of them at the same time. And let's just kind of walk through this, okay? Let's see if we can relate, if we can understand uh, what this feels like. The first cause that Paul identified is simply what I call transition. The fact is life is a series of transitions. Can I get an amen in the house? I mean, it's just we go from one season to the next. That's reality. The problem is that transitions almost always lead to loneliness because transition means change. And that change always involves letting go of something that is familiar and trying to grab a hold of something that is new and unfamiliar. And that can make us feel very isolated and very uh, alone. Is that true? And so we all go through this kind of transitions. I mean, graduation is a transition, and as exciting as it is to say you're graduating, uh, next Sunday we'll be celebrating our graduates around here, 5th, 8th, and 12th grade. Graduates, come be a part of that, celebrate with them. It's an exciting time to see all that happen in our church family and across the nation. But, but in fact, graduation is a transition that, that leads to some going off to college and different colleges and some going into the military and some moving away and some staying here. There, there's, a, there's a loneliness even to that exciting event in our lives. Can, can a new job be lonely? Yeah, you, you get into that place, you don't know how well you're going to do your job, am I going to make friends here? Can, can a new church be lonely? Sure, you come in and it's like, ah, where do I fit? And, and, and everybody else seems to know everybody else, but nobody seems to know me. It can be an incredibly lonely place. Paul, of course, was facing the, the ultimate transition, the end of life. Waiting for the executioner to show up, he wrote in chapter 4, verse 6, I won't be around to help you much longer. Very soon I will be on my way to heaven. Now, don't hear sadness in Paul's voice because he said, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. The only reason I'm sticking around is for you. But still there's a loneliness in that voice, isn't there? Because he's going through transition. The second cause that Paul had to deal with, and I think we all do as well, I just simply call it separation. There's this, we get isolated from the people that we love, and we start to feel lonely. I mean, it may be a job that isolates you. It may be, may be a deployment that isolates you. It might be a school or, or an illness, whatever it is. When we get separated from the people that we feel close to, loneliness is going to kick in, he says in chapter 4. In fact, he says twice. In verse 9 of chapter 4, he says, do your best to come to me quickly. Fast forward through the chapter, get down to verse 21. He says it again. Do your best to get here before winter. Why? Because he's feeling isolated from the people that he loves. 
You, you read in that chapter, and he actually lists seven of his friends who used to be with him. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this world, and Crescens went to Galatia, and, and Titus went to Dalmatia, and, and Tychicus, I, I sent him to Ephesus. Now, I know you're impressed that he can even pronounce those names, and that's the highlight of the sermon so far today. I'll just tell you that I probably pronounced them all really badly, but because I said them fast, you think I said them right. He said, that's, that's the trick to Bible names, just blew right through, and nobody knows. See, that's the way it works. But anyway, the bottom line is, who are these people? Who's he talking about? He's talking about his traveling companions. Yeah, Paul never traveled alone. He never went alone. He was always mentoring somebody. He was always pouring ministry into somebody else. Now he's in prison, and he's separated from them, and so he feels this loneliness. Kim and I have said many times over the years that, that uh, the years that we were uh, missionaries in, in the Philippines, the hardship, people would say, thank you for the sacrifice you make. They didn't have a clue. The hardship of being on the mission field is not the earthquakes that we came to expect to happen. It wasn't the water shortages that could be difficult and inconvenient. It was being separated from family. It was coming home every three or four years to meet nieces and nephews we'd never met before. The separation is the hard part of loneliness, and all of us sometimes uh, relate to that. Let me just ask this. Honestly, can coming to the bridge be a lonely experience? It can, can't it? When you come in and say, wow, it's a great church. The music is awesome. The preacher is really, really, really good. I know you say that a lot. It's just, you know, it's, what can I say? And, <laughs> but how will I ever fit here? How am I ever going to be a part of this? How can I ever become mixed into this thing? It can be tough. Can, can, can sit real still, but can marriage be lonely? Yeah. Even though you're not separated physically, just if communication starts to break down and you find yourself lying in the bed at night, in the dark, wondering what your spouse is thinking and afraid to ask, that can be a lonely place. Loneliness is a reality that we all have to deal with. In fact, we live in a nation that's filled with lonely people because we're a generation that was raised on and raised our children on this idea that I am a rock, I am an island, I can handle this by myself because I'm a woman. No, I'm not. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not. This idea that we're independent people, that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I got a deeply theological word for all of that. <laughs> Fact is, we need each other. Come on, say it with me. We need each other. Look at somebody and take a risk. Say, we need each other. We do. God made us to need each other. Nobody's a rock. Transition can create loneliness. Separation can create it. Opposition. When you find yourself being opposed, you feel like you're under attack. That often leads to, to loneliness. Paul experienced that one too in verse 14 of chapter 4. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. He strongly opposed our message. We don't know exactly what Alexander did, but what was going on is Alexander was an idol maker and so many people came to know Jesus, they stopped buying idols and Alexander went out of business. So he was mad. He didn't like it, so he went after Paul. Whatever it is that he did, it, it created a loneliness in his life. Even if you know why somebody's opposing you, it still can be a lonely experience when you have to deal with it. Is it true? Anybody agree with me that human beings can be incredibly cruel? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, kids, you know, bully other kids in school and 
teenagers, you know, you got the in crowd and the out crowd. It's just office workers form alliances and set up rivalries and petty jealousies. People take sides in politics and religion. Even churches have cliques. Before we know it, we've shut people out. And the temptation when that happens, when we experience that, is to pull into a shell and kind of hide out. The problem is those walls are not discriminating. You build the walls to protect yourself, and in the process, you shut yourself off from the very people that you need in your life. Loneliness is an insidious thing that can take the soul out of us if we're not careful. Paul faced transition, separation, opposition, and rejection. That's, you know, you begin, to, you begin to wonder. It says, those people that I thought were with me are not. You feel betrayed. You feel abandoned by people you thought you could count on. He said again in verse 16, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me, Paul wrote. When you thought somebody had your back, they stabbed you in your back. Or maybe they walked out when you needed them the most. You find yourself feeling rejected. Please, can I beg you, don't make the mistake that so many people have made. If you find yourself in one of those situations, please don't put up walls to protect yourself. Please don't buy into this. I will not let anyone get close to me because it hurts too much when they do. Please don't make that mistake because at the end of the day, we need each other. We were created to need each other. We need a relationship with God that vertical relationship, and then we need healthy horizontal relationships as well. You're going to struggle with these horizontal ones until you get the vertical one up and running, but we need both in our lives. Well, that's just four causes. I mean, there are plenty others. We don't have time to deal with them all, and don't even want to labor there. I really want to focus on, on the what I call the YBH, the yes, but how. What do we do about this thing? Um, so let's shift gears a little bit. Let me say quickly before we do, though, I want to say two things. One is if, if you came here today or if you're watching online and, and you're feeling like uh, that you're isolated, you're feeling you're alone, maybe you've experienced one of these causes we've just talked about, uh, I, I need you to hear me say, I am sorry you're going through this. I'm just, I'm genuinely sorry. It breaks my heart that you're going through this. I need you to know God cares he knows whether we do or not. He has the power and the desire to help you through this. Lean into him. The second thing I want to say to you, I hope you won't hear unkind because um, it comes from that same heart of love, is that when you're feeling the pain of loneliness, you can't just ignore it and hope it'll go away because it doesn't. You have to deal with it. You have to address it. You have to do something about it. And the truth is, there are only two options available to you. You can take what I call Satan's fix, or you can take God's cure. I call Satan's a fix because it's very much akin to getting a fix as a drug addict. You know what a fix is in drugs, right? It's a shot or something that will help you feel a little bit better for a little while, but ultimately leads to death right? So Satan has a fix for your loneliness, but God has a cure. So let's look at Satan's fix quickly, and then the rest of our time together, the few minutes we have, I want to talk about God's cure this morning. Let's lead into it 
Satan's fix for loneliness is found in one passage of Scripture. It's very succinct for us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Here we go. Let's look at it together. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. These are the ways of the world, wanting to please our sinful selves, wanting the sinful things we see, and being too proud of what we have. None of these come from the Father, but all of them come from the world. What he's talking about, what John is talking about, is the kind of escapes that Satan makes available to us, dangling this carrot, that if you will take this escape, you won't feel lonely anymore. And the reality is you won't feel anymore. Break it down. You, You see what he's saying? The first one is wanting to please our sinful selves. What's he talking about? He's talking about pleasure. He's talking about this idea that, that you know, I, I just need, some, I need an experience. I need to be in a moment. I need anything that will, that will shut me down so they don't have to feel anything. And so life for these folks becomes a series of one-night stands. It doesn't matter who the body is as long as there's somebody in my bed. Or it's taking some substance that dulls the senses so that you don't have to feel. I can't, fi- I can't find relief, but at least I don't have to feel, so I'll smoke it, snort it, pop it, drink it, shoot it, just so I don't have to feel anything. On the other side of the equation, there's the anti-pleasure people that we're seeing a lot of in the younger generation these days where they're piercing and cutting and they're trying to inflict physical pain. For them, it's a way of masking the emotional pain that they're often dealing with, and, and it's easier somehow to deal with a physical pain of a cut than it is the emotional pain of the loneliness. See, I'm tough. Nothing hurts me. What's the second thing he mentioned in verse? He says, wanting the sinful things we see. What's he talking about? He's talking about materialism. He's talking about this idea that if I get enough stuff, I'll finally feel good about myself. I'll, have, I'll buy peace of mind, but it doesn't work. And then, of course, there's the other side, the anti-materialism. I'm just shunning all material things. I'm going to go live in a commune, and I'm going to own nothing and just shut out completely. It's the same, it's the same spirit. It doesn't get you there. What's the third one in the verse? Being too proud of what we have. What's he talking about? He's talking about this workaholism. He's talking about this, this just go after, get, 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 accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. So we throw ourselves in our jobs because we're afraid if we slow down, we'll have to deal with stuff so we don't slow down until we fall asleep and we have a fitful sleep and get up the next day and go again. Or there's the opposite, the anti-workaholism of I'm going to slouch on the couch, hope it all goes away. We've all known people that have wrestled this way. No doubt in this room on a day like this that all of us have dealt with some aspect of this at some point in our lives when there was an emotion that was too great for us to bear. And before you know it, we found ourselves tapping into one of Satan's fixes. But ultimately, it's just a fix. It's not a cure. Ultimately, it leaves us empty. So segue with me. What does the cure look like? What is God's cure for loneliness and isolation? I think very simply, it's the church. I believe with everything in me, God's cure for loneliness is the church. What have we been talking about throughout this whole series? Church is not an event. Church is not a place where perfect people go. Church is not a place where we beg for your money till you give enough. Church is not a building or an event. Church is family. 
Church is relationships. Church is the ecclesia, the called out ones, the assembly of God. Church is relationship. That's what it is. And so God's solution, God's cure to loneliness is healthy relationships. Everything rises and falls on relationships. If we're honest, the highest highs of our lives and the lowest lows of our lives are tied to relationships. And I believe he brought the church into existence specifically for the purpose of of providing healthy relationships that ultimately help us to, to, to avoid this feeling of loneliness. Now, here's the problem. The problem is most churches don't know how to do that. I, I, I'm sorry. It's just reality. I've, I've spent a lot of years doing this stuff, and I've spent a lot of years consulting with other churches, and I've spent a lot of time talking with church leaders about this idea of how do you create, how do you become a friendly church? How do, you, how do you become a church where people can connect quickly and easily? And some people say, well, it's easier if it's small, it's hard if it's big. That's not necessarily the case. I've seen churches that are small that are hard to connect to. I've seen churches that are big that are hard to connect to. And I've seen easy ones on both ends of the spectrum. That's not the case. The answer is that we need to understand that all of us need three levels of relationship. So I want to teach you for just a few minutes about these levels of relationship because I believe with everything in me, the only the church that's accomplishing what needs to be done is understanding all three of those relationships and then designing themselves, structuring themselves to facilitate all three. So it's worth a few minutes of our time to talk about those three. You tell me if you relate to it, okay? The first level, of course, is the most intimate level. It's the closest level. I'll call it friend. You can call it whatever you want. But it's that level of relationship where I know you, you know me. I know what's going on in your life. You know what's going on in my life. If I'm in trouble at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to call and you're going to answer. And if you're in trouble at 3 o'clock, you call me and you know I'm going to take a call. That, that friendships. Most psychologists, sociologists tell me that all of us have the capacity for maybe eight to ten people at that level of intimacy in our lives. I say if you can find one good one in a lifetime, call yourself blessed. Right? Paul said it this way in verse 11 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in ministry. I need you to understand something about this level of relationship, and that is that you don't come to this level of relationship without conflict. Am I right? I mean, you bump into somebody from high school in the mall one day and say, hey, man, good to see you. How you doing? Yeah, you're looking good. Yeah, you too. Let's do lunch sometime. Yeah, let's do lunch. Walk away. Is that a close friendship? No, there's no conflict there, but if you get much closer, you're eventually going to disagree with each other because if you get two intelligent people in conversation, eventually you're going to disagree. Paul called for who? Mark. There was a point a few years ago when Paul and John Mark fell into huge conflict, and Paul said, I got, I, I'm too busy to mess with this kid. i got too much to do to mess with this kid. And John Mark went his own way. But they clearly worked through that conflict and came out on the other side in this intimate kind of relationship because in Paul's loneliness, who does he send for? He sends for Mark. So real close friendships are the kind of people who stick even after you were a jerk. They're the people who stick around even after you blew it. They're the people that walk in when everybody else is walking out and you get a person like that in your life, count yourself 
blessed. Well, why do I say all that? Because it's critical that a church that wants to be a friendly church, a healthy relationship church, provide forums for that, opportunities for that. And so that's why we talk as much as we do around here about bridge groups because it's in those groups where those kinds of relationships can form. You can't form that kind of relationship in, in this crowd. And even in our smaller locations, 200 at this one, 300 at that one, you, you can't form the level of relationship I'm talking about in those settings. It has to be in a small group. And so we keep growing larger because so many people desperately need Jesus, but at the same time we keep growing smaller because we need this level of intimate relationship. Our new semester for groups starts uh, next week and so it's not too late for you to sign up go to that website it's on the screen just go to our website click on find your group search through the catalog there are 50 60 groups there's men's groups and women's groups and co-ed groups and meet all during the week and whatever else just click on a, a topic or a, a group leader's name and join a group get into a group start building these these close intimate kind of relationships here's the sad reality I've dealt with any number of churches across the years this is the only structure they have they want everybody who goes to that church to have that level of relationship. Anybody want to guess what size church that is? There's 10 or 12 people show up every Sunday. They are a small group that meets in a building on Sunday morning. And whether they did it on purpose or not, they designed themselves to be that size. The second level, and quite often you've got to marry in to be welcomed into that 10 or 12. It's the only way you get in. And so the second level is critical too, and I'll just simply call that the companion level the companion level. And psychologists tell me that we can have anywhere from 80 to 100 of these kind of companions. Now we're talking about not quite as intimate as friends, but we're talking about people that you have a shared interest with, some people that you know, you hang out with, you, you, you like some of the same kind of things, you, you know a little bit about each other, know each other by name, that kind of stuff. Not a lot of specifics, but you do have common interest. Here, here's how Paul put it to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 16. You know that the household of Stephanos uh, devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. What's he talking about? Anybody know? He's talking about finding people who have common interests to you, linking arms and serving together. That's what he's talking about. Around here, we call that join a serve team. So you find a team that does the same kind of things that you like to do, and you join in with that team. You become part of that team. And yes, you're probably not going to develop the same level of intimacy in that companion level, serve team kind of level, as you would in a bridge group. But we're providing for both of those kinds of levels. Now, here's a reality I need to make sure you know, and that is that most churches in America, 97% of churches in America, statistically, either have friend-level relationships or companion-level. That's as far as I go. And how do I know that to be case? Two reasons. One is when a church starts growing past, what, what's the capacity at the companion level? What was it? 80 to 100. When a church starts growing past that point, the number one complaint you hear from the church attenders are, this church is getting too big. And what do they mean? I can't know everybody at at least a companion level. That's what they're saying. And if I can't know everybody at a companion level, then I'm going to do what I can to squeeze this down so that it doesn't go any further. Anybody want to guess what size the average church in America is? 77. 
77. Why? Because they structure themselves for companion-level relationships. And that's important. Do that. But there are too many people that need Jesus for us just to structure for friends or just to structure for companions. We've got to keep going. There's a third level that we need to be sure we get down. Okay? What's the third level? I call it acquaintance. How many acquaintances can you have? Hundreds. Some people have capacity for thousands. I've got just under 5,000 Facebook friends right now. And the reason I have just under 5,000 is when you cross 5,000, you've got to go to a different kind of page. So I keep deleting people. I can't remember who they are, so I just delete them so I can keep it down, you know, as new people come into the mix. I don't know a lot about those people, but there's a sense of community because we have some common interest somewhere. You know what my, one of my favorite things to do on the planet? You know, you know what one of my favorite things is? Oh, come to church, of course. But beyond that, you know what one of my favorite things is? Oh, it's go to group, of course. But beyond that, you know what my favorite things is? It's to be in a serve team. Beyond that, you know what my favorite things is? It's to go to the, it's to, go to the Rosewood Walmart on Sunday afternoon. You do this, right? And you walk in, and there's bridge kids T-shirts all around, and you don't know them by name. And you, hey, we go to the same church. Give me five. Yeah, so it's walking around with may I help you shirts on. It's hey, yeah, you go to my church. I go to your church. There's this sense of community, even though you don't know each other that well. You may not even recognize uh, their face, much less know their name. But there's a sense of community that comes. Every church needs friendship level, companion level, and acquaintance level, and we have to structure ourselves for that in order to accomplish it because why? At the end of the day, I believe the church exists to provide that place for the healthy relationships God created us to need at a friend level, at a companion level, at a group level. Now, if if you're thinking, I want you to think this. I didn't say want. I said need, right? What's the difference between want and a need? We talked about this during the series some. What's the difference between a want and a need? I want an ice cream sundae. I need food. See the difference? Needs are things you've got to have, and you're going to get them met somehow. If you can't get it done in a healthy way, you're going to settle for an unhealthy way. And I've watched people do that where they need friendships, companions, and acquaintances, but they don't put the effort in to get them at church, so they wind up looking for them at a bar or in a sports league or someplace other than the body of Christ because it's a real need that we meet those relationships. I believe with everything in me, God created us to need relationships at every level. The first church, the first century church had this one down. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 41, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about, how many? 3,000 were added to their number that day. I don't know about you, but that's a big church from day one. Scholars tell me that 5,000 more came in soon after and that maybe as many as 100,000 joined the church in the Jerusalem area within a matter of months. There was this huge revival that ultimately swept the world of committing their lives to Jesus Christ. You talk about a big church, I guarantee you they had friend level, companion level, and acquaintance level relationships in that church. So where do we go (coughs) here at the bridge? Where do we go for acquaintance level relationships? Right here on Sunday morning. 
right here on Sunday morning. We do other things, you know, Hallapalooza at Halloween and Sunday Night Live's coming in a couple of weeks. That's a lot of fun. We do some other things. But our primary place for acquaintance-level relationships is on Sunday morning. And that's why we put as much effort as we do into having parking attendants and front door greeters and VIP greeters and all that stuff because we want to be a welcoming church. Belong before you can believe is the catchphrase for all of our church. And, and Pastor Valerie, too, our guest services director does an amazing job of coordinating all those efforts. I think there's about 200 people that are on that serve team uh, in one capacity or another, and she just does an amazing job. But it's in her heart to take what we're currently doing to the next level. So I asked Pastor Valerie if she would come out this morning and take a few minutes uh, before we wrap up and just kind of describe to you what she's got in her heart to take us to the next level at the acquaintance level. Welcome, Pastor Valerie, to the stage. Thanks, guys. It's good to see you this morning and get to talk to you for a couple minutes. I want to start off by sharing the mission of guest services and all of our guest services teams. We aim to eliminate every distraction. And what we mean by that is beginning in the parking lot and coming right into the auditorium here, we want to wipe away everything that would keep your heart or mind being prepared to receive the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. We also want to exceed guest expectations. That's why when you come for the first time, you don't walk in and we say, Bridge Kids is that way, students go over there. We take you to that area to give you the best experience possible. We also aim to demonstrate the love of Jesus in very practical, tangible ways. And so that's just a, a little bit of what makes all the guest services teams um, here at the church work. So as we move toward looking at our part in being friendly for the sake of people being able to make new acquaintances here at the church in this room on a Sunday morning, I want us to take a look at one brief little verse in our Bibles. In Romans chapter 12, which is found in your New Testament, Paul gave a series of instructions, the same Paul that Pastor Jim talked about earlier in the message, and he talks about believers being a living sacrifice for God. And he goes into talking about our minds being transformed by God's word. He talks about the importance of us serving one another and loving one another. And then in that series of instructions that he's given, he throws in this one little detail that just lights up people who get to do this job like I get to do. And in verse 13 of chapter 12, Paul states simply, always be eager to practice hospitality. Eager means that we're excited, we're willing, and we're ready. And hospitality is simply defined as a friendly reception and treatment of guests and strangers. So if we think about uh, taking this level of friendliness kind of to another level, I want you to first picture what that might look like if you were um, inviting some guests into your home for a gathering. So as your guests are arriving, uh, you're going to greet each one of those individually. You're going to spend a couple of minutes with them maybe as they arrive at the door, uh, each and every one as they come. And then when the time is right or when almost everybody has gathered, you're going to move ahead to the larger gathering. I want you to take that picture into your mind as we think about how that applies here. 
as a section host here at the church. And that's the new team that we're launching as part of our guest services ministry. As a section host, you would simply do that same thing but here. So in the rows that surround the area where you normally sit, you would commit to keeping an eye open for new faces, people you don't know well, people you haven't met before, extending them a warm welcome, making them feel like they belong here. Now, this does not look like some sort of a sales pitch or an elevator speech. You're not selling people on the bridge. It's simply expressing interest in someone you don't know and being friendly with them. A couple of ways to know that this might be for you. So, you know, maybe this has piqued your interest, but you're like, mm, I don't know. Here's how you'd know. If you're one of those people who finds yourself in the grocery store or on the plumbing aisle at Lowe's and um, you can talk to pretty much anybody about anything, you just don't meet strangers, then this is the perfect way for you to be a part of a guest services team. If you find that you're a great listener, uh, you tend to listen more than you talk, uh, you're open to hearing what's going on in people's lives, that would make you a great person to serve as a section host. Uh, if you're just generally an encourager, um, if you're not sure if you're the encourager or the Debbie Downer in your family, if you're married, your spouse can help you know which one you are. But if you, if you know that you're typically an encourager, this would be a great role for you to serve in. If you have a good concept of the things that go on here at the church, you know the ministries and the uh, groups and the, um, all the teams that serve, if, just a general idea of those things, that's also good for you to know. And then important for this is that you're a regular attender of the church. You're usually here. You don't have a problem being on time um, because the point is we want to meet people before service starts. So as you're thinking about those things, Here's what I would like to ask you to do. If you would be willing to commit to learn more about what it means to be a section host, I would invite you to take out that connect card that we asked you to hold on to, flip over to the back side, and at the bottom of that card, simply write the words section host. And here's my commitment to you. I'll be following up with you. We'll have a little bit of training we want to be sure you feel equipped to do this well. So we'll do some training, and then we're going to launch these teams uh, sometime this summer. And I'm asking you to just let me know you'd like to know more, and then we'll go from there. I do think this is um, an exciting way for us to help people make those new acquaintances here at the church and be able to move into companionship and friendship just as God designed it. And I thank you for letting me talk about that today. I'm going to let Pastor Jim come wrap up our morning. This is exciting, and I'm glad you're here to hear about it. Thank you, Val. Man, good stuff. So let's just get real honest for a minute, okay? You come here about three Sundays, and you know where you're going to sit for the rest of your life. Right? So all, you got, all we're saying is, is, is you agree that that... that couple, three rows in front of you, a couple, three rows in back of you, you're going to start paying attention because you know when a newcomer comes in, oh, I don't recognize those people. And it may turn out to be somebody who's a regular who's moved around, but that doesn't happen very often. And so you just agree to greet them and make them feel welcome and make sure that they're not 
doing this while everybody else is high-fiving each other, okay? So sign up, get involved. Let's, be, let's take this whole thing of being this welcoming church, this friendly church to a whole new level as we understand that it's critical that we have friend-level relationships, companion-level relationships, as well as acquaintance-level relationships. And those acquaintances become companions who ultimately become friends, but it all starts with being friends of Jesus and I hope that you will. I ran across a story this past week that I thought I'd share with you in closing. It's a story of a father and son who went on a hike. They're walking through the mountains, and at one point the son tripped and fell, and when he did, he bumped his knee and, 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 and screamed in a loud voice, Aha! And seconds later, this voice from across the valley came back to him, Ah! And the boy said, What was that? And so he called it out again, who are you? And this voice came back, who are you? Tell me who you are. Tell me who you are. He finally made the young boy mad. He said, coward, coward. He finally looked at his dad and said, what's going on, dad? And he said, well, son, listen to this. Um, I admire you. I admire you. You're a champion. You're a champion. And the boy was so blown away by it, he didn't understand why that was going on. And the dad said this, lean in just a minute, and I'm going to hush. The dad said this, most people call that an echo, but I call it life. You see, you tend to get back what you put out. So if you want more love in the world, be more loving. If you want more encouragement in the world, be an encourager. If you want this house to be a friendly house, be a friend and watch what God does. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for being a friend to us even while we were rejecting you. Thank you again for the sacrifice that you made to give up the glories of heaven and take on the form of a man, serve all the way to death knowing that was coming just so that we could call you Savior and friend. I pray in the quietness of this moment that if there's anybody in this room or anybody watching online who can't honestly say right now, Jesus Christ is my Savior, he's my friend, that, that they will not leave this experience until they've settled that thing. Just right now, in the quietness of this moment, Lord, would you speak your love to their hearts? Would you speak your forgiveness to them, your acceptance to them? And let their voice back to you be like that echo. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me a fresh start. Thank you for being a friend first. I want to give you that friendship back. And then, Lord, would you help me to be a friend to others? You pray in that prayer, guys. If, you, if you're not absolutely sure you have that relationship with Jesus, please don't leave this room without settling that. There'll be some people in the altar after the service in a few minutes, and, and we'd love to pray with you. At the very least, take your Connect card and check a box, write a note, let us know so we can pray for you. Take advantage of this opportunity to settle this thing. And for those of you who came here with a relationship with Jesus, God's been speaking to your heart about being 
giver of love and a giver of encouragement and a giver of friendship. Would you pray that simple prayer with me? Lord, show me how you can help, how I can help others to find what I found. Help me to be a friend, be a companion, be an acquaintance to people who are feeling desperately lonely. And then, Jesus, would you walk across the bridge that my friendship builds? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, guys? Again, the prayer team will be here in the altars in just a moment. Take advantage of that opportunity. Don't leave here uh, without prayer with somebody, whatever's going on. Maybe it's on the topic of the day or maybe it's just something else. They would love to pray with you today. Take advantage of that opportunity. Be sure to write section host on the bottom of your Connect card. The ushers are at the back door. Drop those in the basket as you make your way out. And church family, thank you for filling that card out every week. It amazes me uh, on a regular basis when I find people who are not in our system and when we ask them about it, they'll say, oh, yeah, well, I've been here 10 years. You know I'm here. Well, I'm sorry. The Connect card is the means by which we know you're here. And so please take a minute, fill out a card, drop it in the basket on the way out, share a prayer need with us. We type those up. We share them with our intercessory prayer team and our staff every week, and we pray for you. So take advantage of that opportunity. Next week, we're kicking off a whole new series. I can't hardly wait. We're calling it I Am Blessed, which does not necessarily mean that all the circumstances of my life are working right now. We're going to talk about that. We're going to see how can you be blessed and at the same time deal with difficult circumstances. Bring somebody with you who needs to hear that topic. We're going to deal with it together. Okay, Father, take us from this place. And on this Memorial Day weekend, Lord, help us to be safe on the roads. Help us to celebrate together with friends and family. And at the end of the day, help us to always remember the sacrifice that you've made for us and the sacrifices that so many of our men and women, both in military, first responders, have placed in order for us to enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. Help us never to forget it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. We'll see you guys next Sunday. Be blessed.